Good morning and good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Random Trick, where yes, we have finally escaped that dreaded time warp, made it to 1986, and back to the year 2022. My name is Captain Christopher Ingle, and as always, joined by my trusty first officer, Commandant Brennan, the mystical Mar. Brennan. How are we doing after this time warp trip? Not much is certain. This is true. Very true. But uh, today, while we are looking at Star Trek Four, we had to pick up an expert. An expert to save the future of Star Trek. We needed an expert from the 80s. And so we decided to pick up a friend of ours from 1986. He is the host of Riley's Cantina. He is a fan of the other star franchise, but also also likes the track as well. He is Mr. Mark Yodi Riley. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Gentlemen, how, good to be here. Uh, God, when you said um, expert back there on this movie, I was like, and then you said of 80s. I was like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, we can we yep. can go with that. He is our Starfleet specialist. He is our specialist. Yes. I'm wearing blue. I'm not wearing a red shirt. That's that's for, for damn sure. Blue shirts don't die in Star Trek. Statistically true. It's usually red shirts or yellow shirts in the next generation. That's is right. that right? Okay. It's true. I, I just know the red shirt is not a good sign for, the, good. Uh, for uh -huh. the folk. Do you know somebody did the math and more yellow shirts die than red shirts in the original series? Is that right? Okay. That is true. Somebody okay. broke down the so map. We need to change the memes out there and we need to get a viral moment going here. Absolutely. People need to be educated. But Indeed, yes, uh, we, we finally get to review uh, Star Trek for the Voyage Home, or as everyone else knows it, the one with the whales. Uh, Brennan, <laughs> real quick here. Uh, how'd you feel about this going in? Oh, I love this movie. This is the first Star Trek movie I ever saw. My family, we quote this movie repeatedly mm -hmm. at home. Um, whether it's Everybody Remember Where We Parked or <laughs> Alameda or How Do You Feel? We quote this stuff all the time. In fact, I got a photo of the exact area where they cross the street with the next to the Winchell Donuts there in San Francisco. Nice. Yes. And my profile picture on Twitter and Facebook is exactly where Leonard Nimoy climbs out of the whale tank. No. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, we, we, we got our specialist here, Brennan. I, I want to hear from him. So uh, I, as we always ask our guests, Riley, and yours is a little bit different. I know you're not as big a Trek guy, but I want to know where does your love of Trek and Star Trek four specifically come from? Well, you mentioned the child of the eighties part. Um, I was kind of devouring all these movies that came out. And at the time, um, Wrath of Khan missed me. And that might've been because of my lack of knowledge of Star Trek, but it was like you, Brennan, Star Trek four, the voyage home is my very first Trek ever. It was the first movie I saw in the franchise and I loved it because of the time traveling and maybe the whales, but loving the fact that they were in our time. And I'm like, maybe that was how it became a little bit um, approachable for me. And then consequently, that's what led me to Wrath of Khan, uh, which we can get in later. But um, yeah, so that's expert on this movie. Not really. I just saw it a lot. I just thought it really balanced and was there in the 80s and a, kind of a perfect representation of the 80s at that time. Because it was in 1986, it came out, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, so, you know, I'm like knee deep in this stuff. I'm in like Gremlins World and Back to the Future and obviously Star Wars and, you know, Superman and all these movies that uh, defined me. This fit nicely in there because I finally knew of Star Trek, but then, okay, they're, they're back here and this time, let's see what the, what's going on. And I've, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, definitely. It is. It is a piece of the '80s 
in all of its mm. best ways. Uh, I was watching this as we were watching this and just looking at the cars going, dear God, we drove all those. I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah. And um, I or use phone booths. I know. Right. And if I remember correctly, I mean, it really was a friend of mine that introduced it to me. And then I vividly remember watching uh, Wrath of Khan later. But the backstory of what's going on in the Trek franchise at that time when they tell me when they spot, you know, this is spoilers back in 86. They're like, you know what happened in the past two movies? I'm like, no, what? And they told me, and I found it very fascinating that I had to go start over. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yes. Well, why don't we uh, finally get into this film uh, for our friends? Brennan. So uh, just a kind of a, a quick review. Remember, this is the direct sequel to number three and, and two technically uh so we open we well yeah directed by leonard nimoy yes directed by leonard nimoy for a second time Mm -hmm. uh we open up on the planet well we don't open up quite a way uh a a probe actually is coming through uh space and it's letting out this weird signal that disrupts all power grids everywhere and shuts everything down creating nothing but chaos and it's working its way towards earth yeah uh, and we don't know what this is or what this sound equals. We have no idea. Uh, meanwhile, then we open up on planet Vulcan, where we know that the Enterprise crew is going to take the now aptly named uh, the Botany Bay, uh, the the hijacked Krug. The Bounty. Uh, oh, the Bounty. The I see the Botany Bay. You know how many times I do that? It's the B. It's the B. And both are great historic vessels. But anyway. Yes. The bounty, the HMS bounty, mutiny on the bounty. Let's try that again. The Ooh, bounty, I like that. Anyway, they they take the bounty. Yeah, we talk about how literature has a major part in Star Trek all the time. Just another moment of literature kicking in. Oh, Kirk and 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 Picard, right? They just they love yeah. their. They their just literature. talk Shakespeare. That's all they do. That's all they do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, but we, we are introduced to Spock, who's reacclimating to his body and his mind reunified. And he's taking this test on Vulcan to, to really test to make sure everything is, you know, status quo. And the final question that he gets from this computer is, how are you feeling? And he doesn't understand. How do you feel? How do you feel? He doesn't uh, understand the question. And his mother comes in and basically tells him, look, you're human and Vulcan. How you feel is relevant, but he doesn't understand the question. He doesn't get it. Um, the crew decides to go ahead and go back, leaving behind uh, Lieutenant Savick. Uh, and so as they fly out, they get an emergency distress signal from Starfleet saying, stay away from Earth. Everything is powering down. We're in a lot of trouble here. Do not come. You will not survive. Uh, and Kirk asks them to put kind of the sound of, of this probe on. And Spock, by some reason, I don't know how he does it, is able to quickly discern that the probe sounds are whale calls, Mm. specifically humpback whales. And they're like, what is going on? Can we respond back? Well, sure, we could respond back, but it would be gibberish. We don't know what whales say. Humpbacks are extinct. Humpbacks are extinct in the future. Mm. Uh, And so... In order to save the the galaxy, once again, Kirk says, begin your calculations for time warp, which is time number how much that Kirk has gone back in time? Oh, my word. You watch the original series. It's crazy. It's a Star Trek drinking game by now. It's uh, tomorrow is yesterday. Yeah. So in the original series, which I have never seen, Mm -hmm. apologies, Kirk and Co. have traveled back in time many times. Many times. And, and okay. one of them using using the same technique. Using this technique, yes. As okay. going around the sun. And going around the... Okay. Yep. Hey, if it works, <laughs> I mean, do it. Okay, very cool. But they do. They managed to go back in time to 1986, San Francisco. Uh, and they discover... Uh, they, they land in, in uh, Golden Gate Park. Uh, and they begin looking, they need to find whales. They've got to find whales, but we have other problems. Uh, they need more fuel. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they send Uhura and Chekhov to find the nuclear vessels mm. uh, because the isotopes mm-hmm. 
from from a, a, a nuclear accelerating vessel could be used to repolarize the dilithium crystals, you know, Trekkie stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Bones and Scotty have to go build a container to house these these whales. So everybody's kind of out doing their own thing. Uh, Kirk and Spock make their way to Salsalito to the uh, Cetacean Institute, uh, where they find... Oh, in a minute. Uh, oh, we will get there. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Cetacean Institute, home of George and Gracie, the only two captive humpback whales in existence that are being studied and monitored. Um, and Spock decides to jump in and do a mind meld with a whale. Didn't know Love you could it. do that, but hey, it works. Love it. Uh, and finds out that that uh, she is very pregnant. The, the, the female is pregnant. Uh, and Kirk and them say, these are them. These are the whales we need. But they meet Dr. Jillian Taylor, who is kind of their keeper, uh, and doesn't really like people jumping into the tank to hang with whales. <laughs> but for some reason, chases them down and invites them to Italian dinner. Uh, anyway, uh, so th they go to dinner and Kirk kind of spills, we need these whales. And he teases, he tells the truth, but he teases about it. She doesn't believe him. Uh, that he's, you know, a spaceman from Iowa, uh, but uh, manages to find out that the whales are leaving tomorrow. So they only have basically 24 hours to get the whales and get out before they lose them entirely. Mm. Meanwhile, nuclear vessels is happening uh, and they make their way, uh, check off and Uhura make their way over to Alameda. Uh, where <laughs> they successfully get the isotopes that they need, but due to radiation interference, they only can beam out one at a time. Uhura beams out first, uh, and then Chekhov is caught by the U.S. Navy uh, and begins a chase, leaving behind technology, we'll get there, uh, and jumps off of the uh, deck of a carrier pretty far down and cracks his head open. Uh, and he's brought to the hospital. Uh, meanwhile, Scotty and, and um, and Bones managed to find a place uh, that can make the material that they need. They, they cheat a little time travel and, and give uh, <laughs> this formula to make it. And, and they start constructing this uh, material to, to make the, the uh, vessel. Best but, scene with the computer ever. Hello, computer. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, but uh, Rua reports there's a problem with Chekhov. Uh, and they discover that Chekhov is in the hospital and they need to get him now because he's going to be going in for surgery. So they infiltrate the hospital uh, and get uh, manage to get Chekhov out of there, heal him, uh, and beam out to to the, the bounty. Um, and pretty much everybody gets ready to go. They're gonna they're gonna go and they discover the whales are already gone. The whales were released the night before. And so uh, they have to get inside the vessel and go chase down these whales out in the Bering Straits. Uh, yes. And they do make it out there and beam them up, including the water and uh, kind of a funny scene with the uh, whaling vessels that are out there. But they manage to leave, slingshot around the sun and go back uh, and crash land in the San Francisco Bay, releasing the whales. The whales communicate with the, the uh, probe uh, and then everything's all better or is it because as we said this is a continuation and in the last movie kirk defied orders in order to save spock so kirk and his crew have to face charges uh, uh against starfleet and for saving everyone basically all the charges are dropped against everybody except one and that's directed solely at kirk and that's disobeying a direct order mm. and kirk who is an admiral uh, is told that for his actions, he will be demoted to captain. Mm. Since that's the only job in Starfleet, he seems to be able to do really well. Mm. <laughs> and they are taken away uh, to another vessel, you know, uh, to meet. Uh, you know, they're going to be in a new vessel. And we find out that it is another Constitution ship, and it is the Enterprise A. Mm -hmm. And our heroes boldly go again where no one has gone before. Star Trek Five. Anyway, we'll, we'll get there. We'll we will get, get there. there. Uh, so, Riley, we want to start with you. Yeah. What are some things in this film that you like? 
some things. I love everything about this movie. And I'll tell you something. In 1986, when I watched this movie, this didn't this wasn't anchored to anything Star Trek. This wasn't anchored to anything kind of that I had previously known. The reason I love this movie so much because it is actually a really good movie, right? Just take it outside of the Star Trek. Um, I thought it had a great inciting incident with the weird aliens that are coming in and saying, we're going to basically destroy everything without saying it. We don't know. And it, uh, you know, puts everything to, you know, it. Yeah. It's, it's just bad news bears. And um, I think it's a tried and true tested kind of formula, especially when you're coming a year after um, uh, back to the future that, you know, time travel is a kind of a fun thing in the eighties when done well. And we got Leonard Nimoy doing this. Everything was charming. One of my favorite things that um, really held up on rewatch. And I want you guys to help me out on this because I think this character came back, but the time on the bus in San Francisco with <laughs> Spock and, um, and uh, Shatner or mm -hmm. Leonard Nimoy and Shatner, and then the punk guy with the, the punk. Yes, yeah. the punk. Um, it, it was just when he uses the mind. I, I mean, uh, the the neck Vulcan, pinch. the neck pinch. It's a really fun, fun scene, and just I think that right there is kind of the heart of the movie because then it connects to me because then I loved going back because this movie that introduced me to Star Trek had all these nuggets in it of like wait a minute we can talk spoilers too right i mean of previous yeah, yeah. movies yeah yeah movie spock died 36 years ago yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm assuming so spock died he in in wrath of khan he comes back in search for spock like and then this is his like reacclimation into the world not only in his body and his story but to the fans that thought they lost him and then you know i think it works I don't know what Star Trek fans everywhere think of the, the death of Spock at that time, but um, that was fascinating to me. So this movie branched me out to other Star Trek movies, yeah. truly, because the, the mythology is really there and it's a really great mythology. And I'm coming as a Star Wars guy, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, Vader is uh, Luke's, uh, you know, father and oh my God, is Han Solo going to survive? And he could have died at one point and, which we get later on, but you know what I'm talking about? I think that it just really had a great mythology to it. And then mm. the humor was pitch perfect. You know, when you branch out, I love that the whole crew had assignments. They had to go and do things. And then that's, you have your favorite Star Trek characters all in fish out of water scenarios, mm -hmm. you know? And that's what's so fascinating to watch. You have Chekhov, you know, having to deal with not only his energy, uh, injury, but then those like little moments of like computer, you know, where he's, <laughs> and they're on this mission to go find things. And, you know, and they're going to have to go in there and do these, um, you know, get, right. The Chekhov was uh, in the nuclear. Yeah. 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 Chekhov was the nuclear vessel. Scotty was the hello computer. Scotty. Sorry. Scotty was the hello computer. And that's, and the Scotty was so amazing, you know, and uh, the, the picking up, you know, what's her name? Um, uh, that's the earthling that decides to join them. Julian Taylor. Julian. Julian Taylor. She was fantastic. And one of my favorite scenes is her standing next to Scotty as they're going. And it's just like classic Scotty as they're getting out of there. It's like, I've given all I can, Compton. But have we talked about too, the like how interesting it is that they have a birds of prey Klingon ship, right? Is that what I'm? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, that to me is fascinating to have not only is it fish out of water for the crew in 1986 San Francisco, they're effing fish out of water in their own vessel. Mm -hmm. They don't even have the enterprise. Mm -hmm. So, and they don't even have the like Spock is not even in his correct vessel yet. He's mm -hmm. walking around. So the juxtaposition and the kind of the, the parallel kind of themes we have going here of the crew being outside of their of their ship of choice, the Enterprise, mm -hmm. Spock being outside of his body at one point and having to be mm -hmm. back in his body, and then all of them outside of their time frame. It's a really pitch perfect, delicate, fine line walking there, and Nimoy just nails it. So mm -hmm. I like all of this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, but like, I think the bus really stands out to me, and I I love some of the invisible. It's a good start. 
it's definitely a good start to look at. And 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 you're right. Um, they do bring him back in uh season uh two of Picard. Uh he does the guy, the, the punk, right? Yeah, the punk yeah. comes back. Now here's yeah, the funny could be thing. A son. Could be a son. I th- I don't think so because th- what he knew with the neck pick, like, no, no, I'll mm-hmm. turn it off. He knew it's the same guy, and it was the same, same actor guy. too. Oh, but yeah, here's okay. the thing that's funny to me. Let's assume that he's a teenager in 1986. Let's just say he's like 17, 18. Yeah. 40 years later, he's still rocking the same look in 2025 in Picard. Yeah. I yeah. love that. This guy is great. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk Thatcher. He is uh he's one of the crewmen who worked on the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got to play this neat little part. Nice. Yes. Uh, but I do, I also love um spock coming into his own again like Mm -hmm, like a kid having to relearn everything and and spock trying to learn how to be an earthling in a real crash course is so funny yeah you know the the whole back in time the whole uh hell yes we do you know his his swearing (laughs) colorful metaphors Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. it's so great and and the chemistry too is at its best in this film with Spock and Kirk. Mm-hmm. You take like, do you like Italian? Yes. No. No. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it really is. It's it's a it's a wonderful kind of like you know Shatner at his Shatnerous. I think mm-hmm. you know kind of trying to <laughs> convince Spock again like what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really great to watch. Their dynamic is fantastic. They're, they're they're by now we're four movies in, and they are they are going. And and I don't know, I can't remember, but is this a big box office hit? It has to. Uh, be. Yes, it made one hundred and thirty three million at the box office out of on a budget of twenty six million. Yeah, nineteen eighty six. That's huge numbers back then. That's a good number, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I love it. Uh, nominated for four Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Nominated cinema, for okay. cinematography. Cinematography. The sound. I love that. Okay. The sound editing. Mm-hmm. Special and effects. Best original score. Oh, score. Okay. Wait. <coughs> oh, oh, is it? So, is it Goldsmith again? So I didn't win any of them. The winners in the category for. <laughs> Uh, it's Leonard beat, Rosman. Rosenman. They were beat for mm. cinematography. Okay. By the movie The The Mission. Oh uh, yeah, The Mission. Yeah. Okay. They were beat for the sound by Platoon. Okay. Platoon. The sound editing by Aliens. <laughs> wow. And the score by Around Midnight by Herbie Hancock. So the yeah. score no one remembers. Yeah. 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 No well, offense to Herbie Hancock, but this is the most Oscar-nominated Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. Ah, I love that. That's a good. Fa- that's a good fun fact. Yep. I, I yeah. also, being that Brennan and I from the Bay, I love that this is close to home. Yeah. Like I love seeing things, and I I grew up in San Jose in the 1980s. That's where I live. Yeah, I live. Well, that's where that's where Brennan lives. Uh, so a lot of these places that they show here, I recognize. I clearly yeah. do, which is why the Cetacean Institute is so cool to me because I visited. It is actually it is played by the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which is one of the largest aquariums uh, this side of the Mississippi, which I was just at a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And there it's something that I go to regularly and it had opened up only a few months prior to the filming of, of this. Uh, as a matter of fact, the studio donated a large amount of money to finish construction on the deal that they could film here with this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. That's fun. No, and it, it really is. And let me tell you, uh, uh, I, no, I in the movie, of... they, they move it to Sausalito. Mm-hmm. Which oh, is, is just right? across is, the course, Bay Bridge. Which is okay. across the or, uh, uh, The Golden Gate, excuse me. In fact, there is a composite shot of the San Francisco skyline in the background of the aquarium. Uh, obviously, that's not what you see when you go to the aquarium. Yeah. <laughs> no, they are actually. Uh, it's it's what is it about a hundred miles away by then when you get down to Monterey? Yeah, it's, it's it takes about that long. Yeah, yeah, 
couple hours. Um, but yeah, it plays its own part in this, which is really cool. And so when I see this filming, I just love the uh, I, Riley. Have you ever played the the game as a movie fan? Where you want to go find places in films that that were locations, and you want to sit in that and recreate that perfect shot, that perfect oh, yeah. moment. Oh, For yeah. me, with the aquarium in this film, it's this. I've done that yeah. a few times, actually. Yes. Yeah. One of my one of my bucket list things is to finally go to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. You know, and, and see Jaws. I've never uh, been able to go back there, and I, I would I would love to do that. Now you see, there's the crossover we have missed. Uh, uh, you know, for Star Trek Five, Star Trek Five, the whales meet Jaws. Mm. I mean, I think that we could do something like kind of nostalgia. You know, when we are always revisiting. You know, it's like you know Halloween. We're right around the corner. It's like, oh yeah, thirty years later, we forget all those other movies, and it's like, let's do Star Trek. Five and forget all the other one. Oh, wait a minute. That would really piss off fans, I think. Uh, <laughs> no, because I was thinking, what if instead of the whales, they come back to Martha's Vineyard and they have to capture a great white shark? <laughs> well, uh, and, they, and they recruit, they recruit Brody. And Brody has to be there. <laughs> and Brody just is just minding his business. And it's like, yeah, but I, you forget a witch doctor has possessed the shark. Oh, we're getting in some uh, Jaws of Revenge stuff. Yeah. Here. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, true to the form of uh, some of these nostalgia picks, we're going to ignore the events of uh, three and four in the Jaws universe. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to pick up with Brody alive. Yeah. For our listeners, Mark Riley is one of the biggest Jaws fans. Ah, that's history. my favorite movie of yes. uh, all time. So we, we, whenever we can make a Jaws reference, it's going to happen. And, and, I'm going to jump at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely love the location shooting in this film. I don't yeah. normally say that. I'm like, who really pays attention? But being a local, I love this. I just love yeah. going, I've been there. I see, I know, I know, I know. It's I know where really that is. I know where that is. Well, yeah. it's a big part of the of this movie. It's the character itself, you know, mm -hmm. and that and I think that's what I loved about this movie. And you know, it reminded me, and I remember. My my mother took us up north, you know, kind of visiting some of the, the spots along the coast and then landing in San Francisco. And I just remember kind of putting those two and twos together and being like, that's that's San Francisco. That's cool. And this seeing really the Golden Gate Bridge, it. which is a regular character. Sure. In the Star so Trek much. universe. Right, right. You know, when they're going back into the future. Well, not back to the future, but. Well, um, they do at the end. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the I second think time Christopher Lloyd's vehicle gets used to go back to the future. There you go. It's true. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. The the comedy is spot on in this. The locations oh are great. Yeah. Uh, and the effects for 1986 work for me. They do. It's, it's very light on special effects. Yeah. yeah. You're right. It is. But yet, when you think of like the shots to get the whales and mm, basically yeah. anything involving the whales. Um, the, the you know the traveling the, the, I I love especially the end there the ship coming back underneath the golden oh, bridge yes. yeah it had some of that eighties flavor to it the... that it holds up for me the mats in the back I mean it's like mm -hmm. you know it's kind the of... actual time jump too does something that I love and they do this strange kind of melding effect with the faces of the crew mm -hmm. that I still kind of like it's very primitive but I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and 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 we made mention of it. This score, Brennan. What, yes. what do we say about this score? Leonard Rosenman's score is different, yet just so much fun. It's got that big kind of mysterious aquatic sound, but then it also has like that that streets of San Francisco in the eighties jazz, and then that silly chasing in the hospital. It's got so many flavors to the score. So I'm a scores guy, and I forgot about this one. Um, and I mean, to be honest, like I couldn't on my rewatch. I was just kind of like coming back into the story and the characters and the direction, you know. And the score kind of reminded me. I think I I missaid missaid is that a word? Um, but Goldsmith, Jerry Goldsmith, is one of the um, is the composers. Now let me. 
Let me try to get some of my knowledge. Is James Horner Wrath of Khan? Yes. Okay. And Goldsmith did the first one and part three? Part five. And part five. Who did part three in this one? James Horner. No, James Horner did part three. And then two and three. He did two and three. Got mm -hmm. it. Okay. So we have a new composer coming in right now. Yeah, Leonard part four. Right. Yeah. That I'm not familiar with their work. So we have a new composer now, though. That comes in. Uh, that's interesting. Okay, I just so so to give you an to get idea. My Star Trek uh, composers correct. Give here. you an idea of this gentleman, Leonard Rosenman. Uh, this is a guy who's been in the industry a long time. He sure. was the composer of East of Eden, Rebel Without a Cause, oh, okay. uh, The Fantastic Voyage, Huge. Battle Huge. for the Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Huge um, name that I had no idea. I feel <laughs> he did the animated Lord of the Rings. He did the animated. Oh Lord my of the God! Rings. Okay, Jesus. Like this is the guy. This is one of the composers. Down for glory. We oh. we always joke too. In, we in, have in, already in... established that I majorly messed up here. <laughs> in, in Barry in, Lyndon. In, no. Barry Lyndon. In, okay. uh, in already established, Brennan. Okay. In, in Schmodown terminology, <laughs> we always joke that anytime it's a it's a composer question, it's one of the big four. This is not one yeah. of the big four. <laughs> you also did uh, Barry Lyndon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lyndon. You're like, mean, oh yeah, God. Robocop two. Robocop. Oh boy. <laughs> Irvin Kirshner coming back here. Hell is for heroes. Yes. Anyway, um, this is the only Star Trek film he did, but it's so different. And I I do like that. And one of the things that Rosamund wanted to do was make sure that this did not sound like any of the other Star Trek films. And that was on purpose because we are not in the Star Trek universe. When you think about it, they come back to 1986. Right. There's no Starfleet. There's no Federation. discovered warp. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. for contact later. Yeah. They're all worried about the Cold War. That's what they're up to. Absolutely. Star Trek. Gosh darn it. Okay. Yes. So, you know, overall, I mean, it, it, this is also a really great gateway, as you've discovered, Mark Riley, into the yeah. world of Star Trek. I discovered that as well. It's, it is not offensive. Yeah. Like, you can watch this, and it's a great science fiction film. Yeah, a little bit of backstory would help, but it's not yeah. a killer. It isn't a killer to it. Yeah. You know, how many sequels can you say can do that successfully? Especially on the fourth movie. Come I on. know, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we think of fourth movies and franchises now. I mean, usually they're not, eh, you know, yeah. they're, they're not <laughs> up to snuff. We were talking about Jaws, the fourth movie yeah. in that franchise. Is Jaws the Revenge? Good Lord. Yeah, do not watch that movie. So, you know, for this movie to be as good as it is, and I think it actually lends credence to the um, some of that uh, fun online banter that you get when you consider that big old Star Trek, the even movies are the better movies. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't buy that because I love part three. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but you can't have, I mean, you can't do that until you get to Star Trek four, you know, you have to start establishing a pattern here. Mm -hmm. So Star Trek four needed to really enhance that. Well, we, we weren't there yet in 86, but in 86, believe me to get that fourth movie, you know, as good as it is, it's like, damn, we're on to something right now. You know, it, it, in, in my house, this might be, the second or third most quoted movie. Yeah. Yeah. We're quoting this movie all the time. What's your first? Would you say? Oh, Princess Bride. Oh, okay. It's very quoted on The Emperor's New Groove. It's also very quoted. Okay. Yeah. You mean the poison, but, the poison to kill Cusco? Cusco's poison? That's fun. It's, it's extract of Lama. <laughs> but but uh, Star Trek 4 had so many great lines like, like Alameda for nuclear vessels. Double dumbass on you. Yeah. Or, you know, the whole thing about colorful metaphors. Places yeah. like everybody remember where we parked. Where are you from? Outer my space? No, I'm from Iowa. That. Yeah. I love that. My mom is always like, everybody remember where we parked. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this is a very quotable. Movie was one of the most fun dialogue. See, I love Brendan that you say it's it's quotable, it's up there, and you and you bring up like all these 
you know, movies. And it kind of goes to my original point. And it's like, I had no Star Trek love or, or knowledge going into this movie and it just stood on its own, you know, and, and talk about the eighties too, you know, there's something to be said about, and I remember in doing my research coming in here, guys, like looking at the posters that came out for that thing, when you put it in, you look at the images. Um, this movie came to be because of the, finally for me, it was one of the um, poster designs. My favorite memories always was, was with my dad going to this Ma and Pa old shop before there were blockbuster videos. Mm. And he had all the, um, you know, the uh, VHS covers out. So that's great for a horror fan like me. It's great for yes. like, you know, science fiction fan like me, because those those posters and those designs end up on the VHS cover. And that's what sells you at, the, at that time. And I remember seeing it being like, OK, because there's so many times we mentioned Jaws. OK, I'm going to grab Jaws and Jaws, too. And I remember grabbing Superman and I remember grabbing, grabbing Amityville 3 D because of the hand. Oh my word. I remember grabbing that as a, as a horror guy. But then, you know, seeing oh, the yeah, silhouette but... of the birds of prey kind of yeah. ship against the silhouette of the Golden Gate Bridge. With yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Is it Drew Struzan? I can't remember. But then this idea uh... that it's, it, it's really, it was fascinating to me. And I remember that was another big reason I'm going after it because of also the chatter of the nerds like me. You know, when you're playing with your friends in the neighborhood, which I grew up in a great neighborhood where we all had that conversation. I think it was Robbie Brubaker. I want to say it's Robbie Brubaker that introduced me to Star Trek down the street nice. from me. Nice. Can we stop here, please? My dog, Brody. Chief Brody. Yeah, he's under my chair right now. <laughs> uh -huh. Such a cute puppy. But, you know, a perfect Star Trek movie, this is not. Oh, how dare uh, you. Yes, how I, dare I, you, sir. I, I will say it. There are a few things I have a flaw with. I, I have okay, a problem. Let's talk. I do. Now, again, I compliment you. mind you, you are talking to two men who will live and die by defending the last Jedi. So let's see what you got. Here. <laughs> this is absolutely 100% truth. Oh, well. Which is um, lost on me, Brendan, that I see that poster in the background and I appreciate it. Yes. If I flip my camera around, you'd see my poster over there in the corner. So let's hear what you have to say, Captain, sir. Yes. Yeah. Well, Before I you, just, we, we declare you unfit movie, for please. duty. I just complimented their use of scenery. And I, I do. I think it's, it's absolutely great. Their locations are fabulous. My problem is that I have to throw them in the brig, Mark. I have been to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And their use of the aquarium is egregious when you go to this place. <laughs> first of all, here's the thing. When we see the shot of the whales, we first see the whales, they're held in this outdoor tank, which when you finally see how big this area is, it's a tiny space. It is not that big. They're tide pools. Mm. And they, they and I'm, I, I kind of get it for what they're doing. They show the water way higher than it ever actually really goes. Um, they make it look like like it's literally sitting on the water when actually um, the Monterey Bay Aquarium is, would you say, Brandon, probably be a good 15, 20 feet off, yeah. Off, yeah. off floor level? So it's actually yeah. a lot higher than it the, is. The deck, the deck and there, so yeah. when I look at it, especially being there in a local, I can peg at it and go, wait a second, that's not realistic at all. And for a local like me, it took it away just a little bit. And then... As yeah, they, they paste this film together in editing, their entrances and exits are from totally separate parts of the building. So it like I'm like, wait a second, you can't do that. I mean, here's the thing: this it is doesn't the make it. Institute, it doesn't way. make it a bad film. It's a no. little thing that makes me go, wait a second. And when you've been there, it kind of takes me out of it a little bit sometimes because well, I've been there so many times and I love that place passionately. Allow, allow me to retort. Go ahead. I've been <laughs> well, there allow too. me to retort. I've been there too. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take me out of it. Mm. But I respect that it takes you out of it. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I love seeing the aquarium and I, I, I'm, I'm going to give me a second. I'm going to plug this aquarium. It is an amazing place that families should experience. You learn a lot there. Again, it's one of the largest, most famous aquariums this side of the Mississippi. No joke. We have uh, taken my nephews and nieces probably five times. To the I, I recommend it. It's expensive, but you got to understand what they put into this and what what they're showing and the things they're able to see here that you're never going to be oh, able the to deep see. Sea it area is so yeah, cool. it's it's a fabulous experience. And I highly recommend, please support your local aquarium, support yeah, your local zoos. 100%. These places are so and important. Support the ecology of the ocean. Yes. And the that's movie a, does the, a really good job of pointing this that out. This does, except it hits you overhead just a little hard with it. Multiple well, it was times. the 80s. True. Mm -hmm. And that's something I don't like about it, is that this is the Greenpeace one. It very this much is. is. The, this is the don't do drugs era. Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. yeah. And well, so we need to, uh, as, as as somebody growing up right at that time, you know, we needed a good, you know, lecture every now and again. We were running around in backyards and stuff without parental supervision. Yes. I mean, that's a lot of uh, the 80s were like, uh-huh, honey, have you seen Superman 2? The kids at Niagara Falls. Yeah, yeah. You know, hey, mom, watch. Uh-huh, honey, that's nice. That's a snapshot of the 80s yeah. parenting. And, and right as there. far as we were with drugs and the ecology of the earth, and <laughs> you know, we, we needed to kick in the pants back then. We sure, we sure did. It does. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, only, it's a little over the top. The only other thing I have issue with this film is the hospital sequence rescuing Chekhov. Oh, okay. I kind of, I get, I get the comedic elements that they throw into that. But it feels like in the end, it was just thrown in there to have one more conflict challenge mm -hmm. kind of thing. And yeah. it just doesn't yeah. feel like it's needed. It feels like, all right, we got to do one more thing. You know, it just doesn't feel needed to me. It feels to me like the last thing they threw in there. I don't know if that's, that's true. A fair, that's a fair observation. Um, and it just, it, it kind of comes off boring. It really like what's the point? What's the risk? Although funny moment, some funny line. Funny moment. The old lady on dialysis with the pills. I yes. love that old lady, uh, and I want to so know funny. what she has. I'd like to know what pill when, regenerates when, a liver that fast. When Jillian climbs on the table and pretends to be needing surgery, and Doctor McCoy describes her symptoms, mm. he's just using the technical word for cramps. <laughs> that is hilarious yeah no and the, and, the, and the writing for that is good it just it's still the whole sequence still feels the, like it just feels like maybe it's in the wrong place we're stretching it a little bit i think they were trying to stretch the film and they just needed one more conference one something okay, to fair. give us something you know um do you have any issues with this film brennan attention all hands the commander has declared your captain unfit for duty. <laughs> no, um, not really. I think that if you wanted to, you could always nitpick the time travel and say, well, if it's that easy, why doesn't everybody at Starfleet do that? Hmm. But let's just be clear. They did that in the original series, and it's a matter of you got to do what works for the story. Right. No, but we can't connect that, We can't connect it to the greater Star Trek universe to yes, answer that question. But other than that, I think that this movie is one of those that is not flawless, but has, in my opinion, no major flaws that prevent it from being a really good movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it is one of those movies that's just it's just fun. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting hearing you both talk about it. Now, let me ask you a question. You know, I, you can ask me that question. Do I have any flaws or do I see any flaws in like, let's say a um, Return of the Jedi, right? The third movie in my favorite space, yeah. song, right? Um, and maybe a casual moviegoer on the outside just loves the hell out of that movie. Um, and that's kind of where I am with part four here. Now, when you when you are both going into it like that, you know, your love of Star Trek, 
Is it where you, you know, you're looking a little bit more like, are you holding it up to now? Cause I'm curious, what are some of your favorite Star Trek movies? This the is best my, of the best, the best of the best. This is my second favorite Star Trek. Okay. I love that. What's your first? Rathacon. Rathacon. Angle. Third six. is first contact. Six is my absolute favorite. It's a good choice. It is. Uh, First Contact would be my second. Yeah. Uh, And then Wrath of Khan. And a close fourth is uh, 2009. Yes. The 2009 Star Trek is really good. Yes. Yeah. I would say that Wrath of Khan is probably my favorite Star Trek movie now. Now that I can appreciate, you know, film and where we stand and pop Mm -hmm. culture and all the things that go into making a movie. Um, And, but the rest in no particular order. Uh, first contact is up there. This one is up there. Um, I love generations. Yeah, yeah, I love it too. I really I do. Like generations a lot. It's not going to crack my top five, but it might be up at six or seven. Those are the ones that really stand out to me, to be honest with you. And part three, the ones that I can remember having effect on me. Part three deserves more love. Was uh, in no particular order again. If we're establishing. Rathacon is the kind of the, you know, the numero uno. Um, That's my favorite. But uh, Voyage Home, Generations, um, Search for Spock, First Contact, especially First Contact is is probably up there. Probably up there in the top three, I would say. So good. Yeah. Yeah. That was like one of those movies that I was like, whoa, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Again, you got to work, and I'm and and apology, and and I mean no offense to uh, Star Trek fans, but because of my love of Star Wars and because of my love of movies, Star Trek, you got to work extra hard to get me to care. I think, yeah. And like, so first contact comes around, and I'm like, whoa, that's a good, that's a good movie. You know, what and I that's mean? really great that you say that. And and we will in a few months get to first contact. Actually, I think into the new year. I can't uh, wait. But the thing like, with wow, it's good. The thing yeah. with first contact is, which is interesting, that works against it, and yet it's still a good movie. Is that to really understand the motivation of backstory? You had to have watched Next Generation to know yeah. why all the motivations happen. Yeah. I mean, we get exposition, but to truly get into it, you need to watch the show. And even when you don't watch the show. It's still that good. And Star Trek me. 4 does the same thing. I, thank you, Brendan. I think that was exactly going to be my point. When you have a movie that can kind of lay you in for the layman's like me that aren't going to know some of the history of the, of the, of the TV series, you know, because I think we're ultimately going to get there with Star Wars. You know, we're going to have some things that are, that like are going to mean something in a movie that comes out that you maybe had to see Mandalorian or Ahsoka season, whatever, right? But I think that's fascinating to consider in First Contact and even Voyage Home, um, if you're telling me there's some time travel that I wasn't even involved with those series. I have, I have not seen a single Star Trek TV episode. Maybe mm. first generation, maybe next generation. I remember the credits, you know? But I never got into it. The movies were my thing. So fascinating. I just see that. I see that kind of connection in the Star Trek world of first contact being having that kind of mythological connection to the, um, you know, the source material and the the TV show. But then, you know, Voyage Home. um, Voyage Home is sort of the third chapter of a trilogy. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Brennan, let's then let's uh you know that this will have to be definitely be our section here. Let us how does this affect the Star Trek world universe as a whole? Uh well first off we see our first female captain mm-hmm. in Star Trek. Captain of the Saratoga is the first woman we see as a captain of the starship. Mm. Obviously, Janeway later down the line. That's right. It's the most iconic Star Trek captain is a woman. You also have this uh, this movie connects to the original series in terms of the time travel mechanic. 
in terms of Spock and his dad kind of having a reconciliation. Mm. Because he says at the end of the movie, you know, I opposed you joining Starfleet, and I was mistaken. Mm. But we also see a new Enterprise, Enterprise A, which would feature in the next two adventures. Mm-hmm. We also see Admiral Kirk, Captain Kirk again. We also see the the punk on the bus, which we will see again in the card, which is great. Mm. And also this idea of we've seen this in Star Trek a few times. Where an extraterrestrial will be on Earth at a time when there are no extraterrestrials and have to figure out a way to hide. Kind of like the Vulcans in that one episode of Voyager, hmm. where they were on Earth in Colorado in the 50s. Oh, it was Enterprise. That was Enterprise. 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 And they had to hide. Harbin Creek. I remember that one. Uh, and you also had things like Spock regaining a sense of himself. And Spock would appear in many other movies in the franchise, as well as on The Next Generation. Which is really cool. And also seeing Sarek, Spock's dad, would also appear mm-hmm. on the TV shows, which is really neat. Yes. And there's so much more I could say about how this connects. Those are the ones that really stood out to me. I, I got to mention my, my man, Brock Peters, who is a Star Trek legend. Uh, this oh, is the Admiral first Cartwright. appearance yes. of uh, Brock Peters as Admiral Cartwright, who has a big role to play in Star Trek VI. And Brock Peters would go on to play uh, uh, Ben Sisko's father uh, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that's right. Jo- Joseph Sisko. Yep. Uh, and so, you know. And that, also, may I add the great Brock Peters? Mm-hmm. If you're out there listening, if you're one of our younger listeners, go and check out the movie To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. Mark Peters gives a powerhouse performance in that movie. As Tom Robinson. As a wrongly convicted black man in the 50s. Yes. But the movie takes place in the 30s, actually. If you want to see some real good acting, watch the scene where he takes the stand. Mark Peters is a legend. Yeah. And getting to see Admiral Cartwright for the first time, mm-hmm. who would later play an interesting role in Star Trek VI. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of other important cameos. Uh, um, Grace Lee Whitney yeah. as Janice Rand returning. Janice Rand. Uh, actually, the funny thing is, Grace Lee Whitney was in almost all of the original series films. Yes. And a lot of that we just would have missed it. Uh, but Janice Rand was in there. And Janice Rand, for those of you who don't know, uh, was the yeoman for Kirk uh, under Kirk's first five-year mission. Who kind of had a thing for Captain Kirk. A little bit. Who doesn't? And then, of course, (laughs) also there at Starfleet headquarters, and I'm sure you were were going to mention this, Nurse Chapel. True. Dr. Chapel. Nurse Chapel, Dr. Dr. Chapel. Absolutely. Dr. Uh, Chapel is there as well. Yes. All right. Oh, well, oh, also, we get to see the Federation as a president. Mm-hmm. It's the first time we ever saw that in Star Trek. What was your, if you have to pick one favorite moment from this film, uh, what would it be? Riley, start with you. Favorite moment? Could be a quote, scene, uh, could just anything from this film that absolutely stands out to you is just like, this is my favorite thing about this film. Well, I think I said it, it was the the them on the bus going around, you know, Shatner <laughs> and, and Nimoy just at, at, at full strength at that point with like their timing, their friendship, their, their um, you know, that far in the story with these characters. Um, Discussions of profanity. It was a deep moment, and I said it was kind of the heart of the film, I felt, at least maybe the heart for the relationship with uh, Spock and, um, and Kirk. Um, I, I just adore that, and I think, um, you know, 
that's cheating to go back there. You know, when you're asking me favorite moments, maybe not, but I also love, I think the, it's a fantastic climax of action and fun um, to consider the last, I would say 15 minutes of this movie, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes of this movie to get the, the whales to have that kind of the all is all hope is lost kind of moment where we have everything we need and then they're out there in the Pacific and we got to go iconic against the Golden Gate Bridge in a Klingon ship, no less. Yeah, you know, um, and then the race, you know, against uh, against time, the ticking clock to get back in time to save the world. Uh, the the climax works really well. Love that. Awesome. Brennan? Well, I got one that I think is fascinating is when George the Whale talks to the probe at the end. Oh, that's right. No, no subtitles. Yeah. We just hear the whale couple. Uh-huh. And we see it cuts back and forth between him and the comes back probe. in, yeah. And they're talking to each other. Yeah. It's so fascinating. That's in fact, George, George angles himself down in the water and the probe copies his move mm-hmm. which is synchronization na- which naturally is what a whale would do uh with a lot of whale calls you will see them when we look at footage they angle themselves down yeah which is interesting and they're able to basically bounce off of the surface and it's able to travel farther it's a very strange thing but, uh, but i num- think it's cool my number one favorite moment is when spock tells his dad some other I feel fine. Hmm. That is the culmination of Spock's journey to rediscover himself hmm. in this movie. I like that. And that's kind of the spine of the movie. It's at the beginning, Spock doesn't understand the idea. Yeah, how do you feel? He doesn't know what, what the answer is. And by the end, he gets it. He understands it. Yeah. And I love that moment between him and his dad. It's it's a sweet moment. Yeah. It's a reconciliation between the two of them. I think for me, the very ending of the film, as they're coming up on the Enterprise and Kirk says, mm. gentlemen, we've come home. Yeah, it's good. And you see the dun da da dun da 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 da. You know, you're well, you get, yeah, the, you get the whole thing. Wrong music. Wrong music. Yeah. Oh, I. It always we talked about this two weeks ago that to me that is the start yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway but you know let's see what she's got and they take her out again and i i just i always love those hopeful shots in almost every star trek film of them taking the enterprise out for the first time mm-hmm. and i just you right. know we don't get it till the end of this film but gosh it feels satisfying Mm-hmm. Just to see that slick, beautiful ship coming out of dock and just just heading out there, I love it. Yes. All right. Well, final thoughts, Riley. Oh, I think this is a fantastic movie. All the things we discussed, but like I said, I think the strength of this movie is the um, it is the gateway drug for the Star Trek movie lover. You know what I mean? It is that movie that got me into the franchise. It is a movie that still stands out because it's one of those, I would say this and Wrath of Khan um, are my two, but like now I, I got to watch First Contact again. I, I haven't thought about that in a while, but it's those movies that like, especially part four for me as an 80s fan of movies that grew up at that time, this is that movie in the franchise of Star Trek that I would probably go back to the most. It's so damn enjoyable. And on the rewatch, I was just smiling. It's a good mm-hmm. movie. And I just love that um, Nimoy directed this and that his legacy still stands and that he is just, sure, forever known as Spock. But I mean, he is just so damn talented. Did he do? Brennan, final thoughts. If you were to make a list of like movies that are iconic of the 80s, Really, to just yeah. say 80s, this yeah. is one of them. Correct. Uh, this is a fun movie. This is a movie that I I cannot recommend enough to people. This is like Riley said, a gateway. And it's so it's so Star Trek, but not Star Trek at the same time. Yeah. And 
that is like just so great. It's so great. And I think that this movie is the most fun Star Trek movie, I think, just pure fun. Yeah. And also, it does what the original Star Trek series did. It has a message to it. And yet still is great fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this this movie to me is you're right. It is it is the simplest of them all. It really is. There's not a lot to it, and you don't have to be hit over the head with techno babble and you know, you can just get through it. But I think for me, the thing I love about this the most, and Brennan, I know you'll back about back me up on this. In its own way, it gave us cetacean observations. Yes. There you go. In O'Reilly, so if you don't know, which maybe you don't, since you don't watch the series, we've learned over the years that on most major large starships, Mm -hmm. there are sentient whales that are Starfleet officers. Or dolphins. Or dolphins dolphins that are sentient Starfleet officers. And they are in a section of the ship called Cetacean Observations. Enterprise D had one, and it was only in the it's technical Cetacean op- operation. Yeah, it's I was. I thought it was operations. operations. Yeah, and it's uh, because but, of this movie. I I think so. I'd like yeah. to think so because Next Gen comes right after this. This yeah. is 1986. Next Gen. It's 87. 87. So okay. in the technical manuals, I wouldn't be surprised if this idea of of, of of cetacean ops it actually is on the enterprise b there is mm-hmm. a cetacean and now we have and actually we see it that makes sense yes. lower decks lower decks has it yeah right very cool yes with a couple of dolphins so yeah they're beluga whales actually they're oh, beluga, beluga whales yes they're beluga whales yes, yes. yeah but i i really think that this film opens up that possibility maybe maybe just maybe and i think there are books about this yeah i, I don't know if this is true or not but i for some reason, it's clicking in my head. There are Star Trek books, uh, Beta Canon, where George and Gracie are basically the first cetacean officers in Starfleet and go with Jillian Taylor on adventures into, into that makes space. Mm. That makes sense. Now, again, I could be totally wrong, but something in the back of my head is going, I, I think this was a book. Yeah. I do think this was a book. Yeah. But anyway, we get that because of this film. And I, the one with the whales... You know, it opens up so many possibilities. And what's more science fictiony than space whales? Right. Seriously. Doctor Who did it. Star Wars uh, did uh, it. Uh, Star, Wars did it. One, yeah. Star Wars doesn't have space whales, but uh, maybe now they do. No, it does. <laughs> do they have space whales? Yeah, yeah. Rebels. Rebels. Watch Rebels. Watch oh. Rebels. Okay. Space whales. See what I mean? Thank yep. you, Star. Thank you, Star Trek 4. Who defeated Grand Admiral Thrawn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but next week next week we return back to our own time and continue our journey and the randomizer Ooh. has already told us what our next episode is going to be okay let's hear it we are going on a trip on the Enterprise D season 6 episode 22 suspicions mm. this is the one with uh, Dr. Crusher uh, narrating uh, about this experiment and how it becomes a murder mystery. Mm. It's a fun one. Very cool. It's a good one. Good one. At least it's not so Rosa. <laughs> you do realize it's going to happen eventually. I don't want to watch that one. <laughs> I don't want to watch it either, but we're going to at some point. <laughs> oh, Riley, where can the people find you? Pleasure, gentlemen. Find me on Twitter at Riley Around. Go there, uh, and uh, you'll you'll see a bunch of my uh, Patreon stuff. That's mostly what I'm doing nowadays. Uh, Patreon.com/slash Riley Roundtable. Absolutely, Brennan and I are members of, of the are, Patreon. Are yes. the best. Yes, and we love it. They speak from experience. Thank so you. Come join us for some fun. Those yeah, absolutely. Brennan, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter, Brennan Mystical. You can find me on Facebook at Brennan Marr. You can find us on YouTube now. At Page Turner's Day, we're not, which is now our YouTube website, as well as the podcast on Acre, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, wherever you find podcasts. You can also, of course, follow us on me on Twitch at Brennan Marr, B R E N N. 
and they are, are and you can follow me of course at hanging out with Riley, hanging out with video Drew, hanging out with a certain point of view with let's get ready with the outline nation. The list goes on. Awesome. And of course you can find me at uh, C Ingle1984 uh, on Twitch, on Twitter. Uh, and of course, hanging out here on this uh, podcast. Uh, and from time to time, uh, hanging out with this man, Mark Yodi Riley in his okay. Patreon, as well as uh, occasionally on Riley's Cantina and other uh, forums where we get to talk about nerd stuff. And Riley, before I give our standard sign off, I do have to ask one question to you that I can't believe I forgot. Yes. If we took you back to 1986, what piece of advice would you give 1986 Mark Riley? Uh, don't say, say buy Apple. <laughs> no, I would tell him to keep playing. Stick with those piano lessons. You would you would have a lot better life. <laughs> and with that, we end every episode. Kapla! And live long and prosper. Peace and long life.